Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Another Sunday night means another episode of The Last of Us has come and gone, which means it is time for a new episode of The Last of Pods. I am Brandon Davis. I am Ash Crossan. Hello, hello. Hello, everybody. And we are here to talk about episode three of The Last of Us. We are one third of the journey through the first act has concluded. We have a lot to talk about, which means, you know how we do it on The Last of Pods, it means we're going to talk about the episode, react to it, compare it to the game, and at the end of the episode, we're going to talk about what's coming next according to the game. Now, this episode, uh, which is something we're going to dive into, was quite different from anything that happens in the game, so maybe sometimes we're not always going to be on the money when we tell you those spoilers from the games at the end of the episode, but uh, Ash... Ash, did you have a? You just actually got back from a trip to across the pond to come back just in time to talk about the last of pods. Talk about the last <laughs> of us on the last of pods. How are you holding up? Uh, you know, thank you for everyone for, who's going to put up with me today because I literally landed last night from London and I'm about to get on a plane to New York. Um, so the jet lag is creeping up on me. However, I'm good and I had a lot of fun in London and I can't really tell anybody why I was there, but it was a work trip. Um, so I'll tell you about it in like a year when I can talk about it. Well, that sounds like a really good reason to stay following the Ash Cross and social handles to find out many, many months from now what the heck you were doing in London. Uh, I haven't had quite an as exciting of a week. I've just been playing Fortnite and Call of Duty and even gave Overwatch a try, but I'm just waiting for the last of us to offer skins in Fortnite. Like everything else has. Where where are my Ellie and Joel skins, you know? I don't know how this works. They just like, they're just like, we add, they add skins for people. Oh, yeah, you buy, so you spend like $10 and you buy a thousand V-Bucks and then a skin is like 800 V. Actually, the prices have gone up. Now a skin is like 1500 V-Bucks. It's getting ridiculous. But usually it's kind of, it almost, I'm not sure who pays who in that instance because I'm pretty sure it's the equivalent of advertising when you have a skin like for a character from a franchise added to Fortnite because then all the kids playing Fortnite and all the adults and everybody in between uh, is aware of the property. Like that when Uncharted came out, they had, you know, Tom Holland's version of Nathan Drake available for sale in Fortnite, which is another PlayStation game. I'm just saying y'all did that one. Where's Ellie and Joel that we need the we need their skins and everything. But uh, uh, yeah, it no. sounds but... like this sounds like modern Sims. Well, I'm still playing Sims, but. Is there is there crossovers and like collaborations in The Sims? Yeah, yeah, they've done like a Star Wars one. You can have a little baby Yoda and just put it on your. I mean, it's like a statue, and you can put it in your yard. They have mm. the, the outfits and all that. So yeah, one of do. yeah, I have a deep, deep regret because Fortnite did a Mandalorian season, and you had to do all these quests to unlock like a fully best guard up armor for the Mandalorian. And I didn't do them, and you can never unlock it again. And like a Baby Yoda backpack that that floats with you, and I you, you never have access to them again, and I'll never have it. It's one of my life's regrets. But uh, all right, let's talk about The Last of Us. Enough Fortnite <laughs> and London and everything else in between. Uh, we're going to talk about episode three. Before we talk about episode three, 
There are a couple things from episode two and just general Last of Us stuff I wanted to talk about that I've been seeing online, seeing in interviews that I thought people might find interesting. The first one is something we didn't catch while talking about episode two. There was a lighter in episode two. The lighter that Tess used to ignite the explosion that killed all the infected was actually a lighter from the Uncharted series, which is, if you're unfamiliar with this, Naughty Dog makes both the Uncharted game series for PlayStation and The Last of Us. Uh, It had the 76 and the star on it. Uh, Troy Baker voices both Joel Miller in The Last of Us game and Sam in the Uncharted series. So there's all sorts of little Easter eggs there. And I think that's a cool thing. I'm curious how many of those are going to come up later because I'm not I, I I comb through this stuff pretty intensely and I missed that. But I don't consider myself an Uncharted expert. Well, I, th- I feel like, you know, when I'm watching like Marvel trailers and stuff, I'm skimming through East for Easter eggs. And I just wasn't even paying attention to that because I was like, oh, we're just like I did not expect Easter eggs. So now. My eyes are open. I'm focused. I'm ready. I'm going to find them. In this episode, when we saw the little bone graveyard, I was like, hold on. Is there something in there that I should recognize? (laughs) I paused it, skimmed through it. There wasn't, at least not that I noticed. Come to find out Monday morning, Craig Mazin does an interview and he's just like, yeah, actually that bone structure was the same bone structure as a person that we had in an episode of Chernobyl. Like, I don't know. That's what's going to end up happening to me. Uh, And another thing also I found really interesting was, uh, Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann were pretty open on the fact that they had developed a Tess backstory and they thought about including it, but they didn't end up using it. Uh, and uh, this is the quote from Neil Druckmann. We had a cold open where we just like the camera pushed on this door and you could hear this pounding come from the basement and then we cut out. Uh, then later, Tess would tell the story how she couldn't kill her son. It didn't fit, but it was fun to think about. And as far as I know, I'm pretty sure they said they never shot this. Would you have liked to see some Tess backstory before she died? I think I would. And we'll get into this because this episode kind of shows a different side of her. We kind of see her when she's like very hardened and she has these this kind of softer side. And, you know, she drinks wine and likes fan. Like, I think I would be interested. But then I also kind of just like the idea that we don't really know much about her. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think maybe this is the game the, the part of me that has played the game and feels like they know everything that's coming in the story. The parts I'm finding to be the most interesting in The Last of Us, which is going to contradict one of my upcoming points about this episode, is the things that were never filled out in the game. The backstory, the the outbreak day stuff, the the details about characters that we never got in the game are what I am finding to be deepening the story for me. Uh, and making up for some of the other things that I feel might be missing from the series. Uh, so uh, it, it's interesting. I don't know if I would have needed a test backstory, but I certainly know I would not have complained if we got it. Exactly. Yeah, I feel you. All right. So let's talk about episode three. Now, this is the part of the show where spoilers for episode three are totally fair game. You are watching The Last of Pods. If you're dropping us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a question in there and we will answer it for you. As soon as we see that five-star review with a question, we're going to bring it up. We're going to shout you out appreciate you very thoroughly and uh, answer your questions as best we can. Episode three. This was a movie in itself. Yeah. Uh, Ash, I'll, I'll let you go first. What did you think of episode three of The Last of Us? When I talked to Craig Mazin, the first thing I said, I was like, I had no idea you were going to up us like that. Like the movie up. We got upped. Like it was so beautiful and heartbreaking. And it's like, I know it like with Bill and Frank. One, we don't re- we didn't really know Frank before. Um, so kind of expanding on their story, but also they get what I would deem as the happiest ending of pretty much anybody in The Last of Us could possibly get. Um, I loved their story so much. I just thought it was like kind of just so beautiful. The only thing that I will, I guess, complain about would be that I loved 
Bill and Ellie's banter and their interactions in the game so much that I'm like, kind of like, oh, I wish we got that. I wish they got to me. Um, but I loved this story because in the game, and we'll get into this, uh, Frank like really angrily leaves Bill and it's, they they have like a big breakup. And this one, they explore this just beautiful love story, um, which is very much hinted at the game, but never fully fleshed out and I, I I mean I talked to Craig Mays about this and he was like I pitched this to Neil as just kind of a different concept that I really wanted to do and people finding love and then also just this dichotomy that is throughout the whole story is there's one person that wants connection and wants family and then there's the other people that are more protecting themselves and want to be alone and want to just live and and I, I just I don't know I loved their dynamic and I keep saying I loved it, but I did love it. I thought it was one of the best <laughs> episodes of television. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's phenomenal. I think we're going to see, you know, conversations about this episode when, you know, awards season for this year's television comes around. Mm-hmm. I think it it really is a movie in itself. At the same time, as a person who watched The Walking Dead for 11 or 12 years, I, bottle episodes throw me off. I'm not going to lie to you. They feel a bit like momentum killers for some story elements. This is not a full bottle episode, so I'm not criticizing very strongly, but the the complete diversion from Ellie and Joel's story, which was really rocketing forward in episodes one and two to take a step mm-hmm. back for characters who are not going to be factors going forward, feels like a weird choice when in terms of pacing and momentum. That said, what they the reason they took the step back was to tell an incredible story that just shows how further how grim this world can be and how still some people can find a light in that darkness like the fireflies you look for the light these people do not look for the fireflies but they found a different light and it was just a really special episode of television with incredible acting brilliant writing and the only thing i really feel i can complain about is that it's just the momentum of the series kind of shifted a bit and took a back seat in favor of uh a side story that is not you know keeping the plot moving forward as fast as we may have liked, but I don't feel like that's something that really needs to be a huge gripe because of how good this was. And because of the fact that Ellie and Joel bookended the episode when the walking dead used to do this, they would just do these episodes with like one or two characters. And then you'd see another one or two characters in the next week. And then the next, and I'm pretty sure it was to save budget and schedules because the actors were getting tired of the conditions and the hours and everything. And it became it started to impact the quality of the show and the production. This just felt like, you know, they had a story to tell and they told it. So I'm not I do think I'm being I sound very critical. And that is a criticism from me. But overall, I think this episode is brilliant and I'm happy it's there. Like, I really enjoyed this episode. And I feel like the fact that we know that the entirety of season one is going to cover the entire game, like we know we're not going to have those slowdowns so much where the momentum is broken up. I think I imagine with the Ellie uh, Riley DLC, that might be another one of these instances where we kind of pull back from the main storyline. But I don't I don't particularly mind it, I don't think. Interesting. Interesting. I'm interested to see what the conversation's like online for people who really just want the Ellie Joel stuff when you're given something else. What do you take away from it? We're going to talk more about Bill and Frank in a minute, but I want to talk about the episode kind of in the order that it happened. Mm -hmm. So it starts with Ellie and Joel's journey to Bill's. That's where, you know, they are, they, they leave off after Tess has died. She has saved them from the infected in Boston. They're on the road. I mean, they're literally walking and walking and walking. One visual I have to shout out is the airplane. Yes. The crashed airplane. That those moments that show the crashing down of the world literally in this sense are are so immersive and they they give me so much life. <laughs> like I, I love that I stuff. Have, I think it also really highlights how fast the virus spread because 
I think in the when you play the games, it's not as clear, like, yes, it was one night, but it seems like it kind of slowly spread. This one, it was like, it was just the span of a very short amount of time where a plane would literally fall out of the sky because the infection got so bad. I, I'm going to talk later more about how I want to see so much more of the infected in the show, but hearing Joel recount, you know, Thursday, people started to get infected Friday, you know, it was out there. And by Monday, everything was gone. It's like, man, having lived through like, you know, we've gone through 2020 and 2021, everything like from January to March, there was so much uncertainty when we were entering like a global pandemic and everything. And it all felt like it happened. Re- it felt like it happened fast. But if you look at it, it was over the course of a couple months. Imagine exponentially worse of an outcome than what we lived through with four days of it all a to weekend, happen. Yeah. You would be so unprepared for it. No. Yeah. No, I'd be dead. <laughs> Unless you're Bill. Unless you're Bill. Yeah. Uh, some things that, that they talk about on that journey is like Joel has a scar on his head. Ellie points that out. And it's just one of those things that like we just talked about these backstories. Like, I want to see how Joel got that scar. I know my first thought when he said that was, oh, did this happen when he was holding Sarah? And that's why he got a little shy about it. But I couldn't I, I don't think he got hit in that moment. Or grazed? Yeah, I don't think so. I think he just got shot in the side, but who knows? I mean, maybe. But I think it alludes to the fact that Joel has had run-ins with plenty of humans and infected. I think it's all just building this character. And I'm ready for the younger Joel spinoff. Like, this man is in his 50s now. We got a whole two decades of story with Joel that we haven't seen. If, If for some reason Pedro is not on The Last of Us going forward, unfathomable. But... If for some reason his schedule clears up and he wants to do more Last of Us content in the past, I'd probably watch like year six, Joel. Hell, I would definitely watch year one, Joel. I want to see that first week play out. But I'll watch. I I think that this world is so interesting and telling it through the lens of developing a character further is just the perfect way to do it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Ellie knew the Mortal Kombat 2 game in the in the in the room. You know what I was thinking about? Because it was the outbreak happened in 2003. There's so much that doesn't happen in this world. Like any movie or any like piece of pop culture that came out after 2003 does not exist. Did they even get MySpace yet? I don't know. Maybe, but yeah, like there's the, they don't have Twitter. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Lucky them. (laughs) And the world still ended. Look at that. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about they go in. They go into that area where Ellie goes into this basement, and I was like, "What is she doing?" (laughs) Not running into spores. Not running into spores. But I was literally like, "Girl, don't go down there. What are you doing?" Uh, She's fearless. She is fearless. She is fearless. I love that for her. But then we have this moment where she's like carving. This, there's like this infected down there that's pinned under. Yeah, that was kind of gross. Honestly, that played like it was her first time killing an infected. But like those of us who have played the games and per, like have, you know, followed the story. No, that's not the first time she's killed an infected or had a I don't think. No, I don't. I don't think so either, because I thought the same thing. I, my first thought was like, has she killed an infected before? And I'm pretty sure she has. But then when she cuts it, the the fungus that comes out disgusting it's so gross yeah Yeah, it looks like like cotton balls emerging like from their faces but i i like joel maybe i'm is this from the show or is this from the game where ellie asks joel or both where i ask joel like is it hard to kill the infected like knowing they were people before wait does that happen in the show or the game i think it was in the game i think i might have been both i can't remember 
my yeah. my my lack of expertise is showing. Oh my gosh. Uh, but but it, like that's when she asks questions like that. That makes me feel like this must have been the first time. But this, I'm pretty sure this is not the first time she's killed and infected. I, I think. Yeah, she's just she's just uh, she's she's thrilled to find her box of Tampax, which. I guess it's understandable. Not something I can really understand, like really relate to, but I imagine in the apocalypse, that would be quite a gift. Yeah, honestly. Oh my God. <laughs> and then uh, I think that Ellie's fearlessness and positivity is the perfect contrast for goal for, for goal for Joel goal. Uh, I don't know where that came from, but for Joel, because he's negative and uh, hardened. And she's like psyched to see an arcade game. She talks about the plane and says, you got to go up in the sky. She's pretty fearless. She walks right up to that infected and just looks at it with a knife and takes her time. Whereas Mm -hmm. Joel is just like, we need to do everything always to protect ourselves. And I find that like what this is something that's going to change between them over the course of the show. Right. They're not going to be at such a contrasted view of the world. No, no. But I just, I mean, even like the part where she's, they're sitting in the woods and she's like, I've never been in the woods before. Like she doesn't know anything. It's, it's, it's cute. It's cute. I love her. Uh, And the last thing I want to talk about from this, from this uh, pre Bill and Frank portion of the episode is the cordyceps conversation. When we we just talked about how uh, Joel was talking about how it, it mutated and it got into flower. And that's kind of the theory. Well, that has been confirmed. This was a theory that was online after the first episode because of the neighbor having the biscuit in her mouth and how she was the one that turned into an infected first. Uh, this, the story as it goes is that there is there was a flower plant in Indonesia that was one of those global fl- food brands that Joel talked about in this episode, and that food got out around the world, and it caused the infection to spread, and it spread, obviously, with incredible quickness. I, fi- I just find that to be the most interesting element of this world, aside from the characters we're following. I agree. And also, if you, going back to the first episode, there's all of these times that Joel and Sarah narrowly like miss eating flour or sugar. They don't have the pancake ingredients. They um, Joel says he's on Atkins. And then Sarah like t- almost takes a cookie, but then doesn't and leaves. It goes next door. So they both like it's hinted at in the first episode aggressively and we wow i didn't even catch that yeah i did not even catch that yeah i i just heard atkins and i was like yeah i'm pretty sure my parents were on atkins in 2003 too that was my thought not oh this man is dodging the virus or the virus sorry i know the fungus i know i know my gosh twitter has come for me every time i accidentally say virus i know i know i know and then this this portion of the episode uh, ends with the uh, the outbreak day footage, or, or the it starts with the the pile of bones, which cuts back to the outbreak day footage, which shows the mother with her child, and it's just that seems like what would actually what it would be like. Yeah, that was another one of the most interesting parts of the episodes for me too, because it just shows that it wasn't just it was like Fedra just killed civilians because they couldn't fit into quarantine zones if there wasn't enough room for them they eliminated them so that they wouldn't get infected and then it goes to it being a mother and child a mother and a baby that live in this town where we'll get to our next character but that was just so i don't know yeah i think that it, yeah i agree it was dark it was really dark yeah it it, it and i think it points out the the depth of like the weight of Ellie's immunity and how so much has been lost and sacrificed as a result of this virus and what Ellie's potential 
to you can't undo this. You can't bring these people back to life, but it could it does shine a bit of a light. Uh, and shout out to Cade from the comic book staff for for starting that thought in my mind on Twitter. Um, but all right, we're going to take a quick one minute break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the rest of this episode uh, post post outbreak day. See you in a moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to The Last of Pods. The time has come to get into the Bill and Frank section of this show. So we talked about the, before the break, we talked about the the mother and child and the bones that were all there. So then we we go to Bill, who is in a basement watching Fedra come and clean out this town. And then Bill's like, great, they're all gone. And this town becomes his. And it's like really fun to watch because he's just like, I wish I could do all of these things. Like he's a survivalist. He calls himself. He's a doomsday prepper. Uh, he goes to get gas. He goes to the Home Depot. He turns the power back on. He gets a generator. He gets the gas, um, the liquor store, all of it rigs the town with traps and just makes it his. Um, and I would love to go live with him. <laughs> I'm those that day. I'll tell you, it seems so peaceful. It seems so peaceful. When he walked outside of his door, you could see kind of a grin on his face when he saw that there was nobody there. And my interpretation of that grin, everybody, like people like Bill, they get called crazy and all this kind of stuff. So A, he's probably fired up that he's like, ha, my doomsday prepping has me ready for this. When all of you just got killed, I'm the one who survived. But it also feels to me like based on the events of the rest of the episode, when you find out Bill has been keeping a huge part of himself a secret, Bill has not accepted his own sexuality. It almost feels to me like Bill might have walked out of his front door and felt almost a relief to, I imagine that's a part of him that he was hiding before the apocalypse. He mm-hmm. was hiding it from Frank when Frank arrived. I imagine Bill was probably spending some time on some conservative websites where he's getting all these gun ideas and all this kind of stuff. Not that those two things have to go hand in hand, but they often do. So I don't think a person with Bill's sexual preference would feel comfortable necessarily being open in such a social forum where he probably would be rejected for that very strongly, I imagine. And yeah, then he walks out and he probably just feels like I can be myself now. Yeah, I love that. Doesn't Frank at one point be like, you're a, a t- calls him like a 9-11 truther or something like that? Yeah, he, I, I forget what the, the word was, but yeah, he tells him, you think the government is Nazis? And he's like, it is a bunch of Nazis. <laughs> well, they are now, but not then. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like Bill seems to finally find himself in the apocalypse, which is that kind of light we were talking about earlier, where this terrible, terrible world allows a, a person the space to find out who they are and what they actually want. In Bill's case, I'm not saying this was Bill's best case scenario, but it certainly seems like that grin indicated, okay, you know this what? Is, this is the environment I thrive in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then four years later, Frank stumbles into one of Bill's many, many traps, which if you've played the game, you know these traps. Those traps are all over the place, and they are infuriating. 
Yes, they are. I think the first time we see like Joel gets a rope and a refrigerator's hanging from it. They're all over the place. Bill is, it's well rigged, but yes, Frank falls in one of these traps and it's just like, and when Bill approaches him, he's super cautious. He's like, he doesn't know if this is a trick from Frank. He doesn't know who he is. He's like, are you alone? Do you have other people with you? What's going on? Um, and then what, did, I mean, I, I don't know. What did, what did you think of this, this moment? Okay. At first, when it started to become a relationship that looked like one that was they were opening up to each other and starting to maybe trust each other and do some experimenting, uh, I thought for a second, I was like, now, I don't trust this guy, Frank. Frank looks to me like somebody who might have just found his meal ticket as far as he's concerned. I'm just waiting to hear that Frank has a whole gang of people waiting to come take over this house. He didn't. And I'm so happy he didn't because it turned into a beautiful love story. Yeah, because, I mean, we mentioned this in the deviations from the game. Frank, we don't really meet Frank um, until the end, I guess. And he left a really nasty letter for Bill being like, I hate your guts. I never want to see you again, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, when we're watching this, not knowing and it's such a deviation from the game, we're like, maybe Frank will betray him. Maybe like we don't know. <laughs> he says, well, Bill, I doubt you'd ever find this note because you were too scared to ever make it to this part of town. But if for some reason you did, I want you to know I hated your guts. I grew tired of this expletive town and of your set in your ways attitude. I wanted more from life than this. And you could never get that. And that stupid battery you kept moaning about. I got it. But I guess you were right. Trying to leave this town will kill me. Still better than spending another day with you. Good luck, Frank. That's one way to break up. That's that's a breakup letter right there. That is. Woo! Woo. <laughs> yeah, a little different in the show. <laughs> yes. And that letter comes with obviously when Frank is found dead hanging in a in a house outside of Bill's like church where he was living. And uh it's and 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 Bill has plenty of not so nice words about Frank in these moments too. So yeah. they clearly grew apart, whereas in the game, as they got older, sure they had their fights, they had their differences. They ultimately came together right up until the end and they decided to go out together. Yeah. But it does show a big contrast between them, which is something I know you wanted to talk about. No, yeah, no, I was just going to say in the game as well, like when Bill, when Bill's talking to Joel in the game about Ellie, he's like, you need to get rid of her. I have had a close relationship like this. I had a partner and I know where this is going to go. So you like it was like kind of his warning to Joel to not have any attachments, which was like, it was like, I was a partner with Frank and now look what he's done. He's left me. Um, but yeah, I, I think the relationship and the differences in them are so interesting because it does show a lot of the, it shows kind of the Joel and Ellie relationship in the game. But also when we get to, we have this flashback where Frank wants to have this dinner party and he's grown fruit and it's really sweet. And Bill's like, no, we're not trusting anybody. We're not inviting people over and having dinners and wine. Um, but Tess loves it. And it's like a softer side of Tess where she's like, I needed this. And Joel and Bill are sitting there like, oh, my God, we are not trusting each other. We are not being friends. This is not how this is going to work. Um, so I was actually surprised that it was Tess and Frank that kind of brought this group together. Yeah. And ultimately, I enjoyed how it showed that Bill had accepted that Joel was very uh, capable. And when he got shot, he was just like, call Joel, call Joel. I think mm -hmm. that speaks a lot to the character of Joel in interactions that we just don't get to see. 
like people just know this is a guy you can rely on to get the job done. So the call Joel moment for me was really cool to see, like, you know, this really solidifies who this character Pedro is playing is. And there's a really interesting kind of warning that Joel gives Bill in this in this scene where he's like, hey, like you you're well protected. Fedra's never going to come back out here. You're too far. You're well protected against the infected. But there's more out there than that. And they're going to come sooner or later. And I think that's a good um, indication of things that are out there, but also what's going to come in the show, because there are raiders and there are people that are very, very terrible. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a few minutes in the uh, spoilers based on the game section. The last thing I want to talk about from the Bill and Frank stuff uh, as it compares to the game is, first of all, Bill is still alive when you leave him in the game. Yeah. And he gives you a pickup truck that looks exactly the same, but you escape very, very differently. You put like the battery and all this stuff, like you get the truck started. So Ellie has to drive it and she has to move it. So the radiator can recharge the battery. But in the escape, you guys have to periodically push it and then infected and clickers start interfering and attacking Bill and Joel while they're trying to push it. There's not nearly as much of this sort of infected looming threat. It feels to me in the show and i know you can't have just an infected crazy person running around every five seconds but i really feel this is an absence in the in the show that the game offers that makes the world feel a lot more tense yeah because isn't it you know joel and ellie when they get there they attract all of this infected to come to bill who has been kind of living at peace for a while yeah and like they have to go through like a schoolyard together and survive a bunch of infected you've already fought a bloater at this point like you you go through this high school and you have to sneak around and get through the parking lot with all these buses where there's infected and they ambush you and all that stuff. And then you go inside and you have to make your way. You have to sneak through it and be super tactful and quiet. And by the time you get to the end of this, you end up in a gymnasium and the doors burst open and a bloater comes through. We've seen a bloater in the trailer for the last of us. We know there's a bloater coming later in the show. It's a big giant like it looks like the well walker from the walking dead except a bit grosser and like not so oversaturated with water but more oversaturated with spores and nasty cordyceps we don't have any of that really on the show so far yeah i feel like we went over this in episode one but just for people that don't know it's like the the runners the infected that still look like people they're only a couple days past infection and then there's the i think they're called crawlers that are a few days after that and then eventually like a year in you get a clicker and then a few years in there's the bloater so they are like very very strong infected and then there's also what i forget what it's called the thing in the the thing in part two the massive like it's like a bloater it has like bloaters hanging off of it it's so large yeah i don't remember what it was called i was the part of the game where i actually had to lower the difficulty setting because i spent two full days trying to defeat this monster and I couldn't and I was getting so frustrated so I had to lower the difficulty level just to beat it and then come back the bloater on the other hand I was able to defeat without having to change the difficulty setting Uh, but yeah I do feel that there is an absence of infected and dead so now we're going to talk about now the what's next for the last of us according to the game I'll tell you right now it's going to be a little bit different the next stop in the game is Pittsburgh And you go to Pittsburgh and you crash your car and these hunters start coming after you. They're humans. It's human to human conflict in a major way, more so than we've seen in the show so far, more so than we had seen in the game to this point. 
Although, yeah, yeah, definitely more than you've seen in the game to this point. Except, no, the running with Robert's people in the game was pretty detailed human-to-human conflict. We didn't get that as much in the show. So in the game, it's a bit more of a, the fur like, the human-to-human conflict's pretty present. Right now, I think the show has been saving human-to-human conflict for probably a moment like this. But it's in Pittsburgh, and that's that's what happens in the game next. Anything you're hoping to see, want to see, don't expect them to do anything like that for this uh um, no, I mean, I think, I think it's an interesting aspect because we've seen the infected, we've seen the clickers and all that, but the, the humans in the game, the, the, the bad, the bad guys, I guess, the hunters, the raiders are the kind of like the scariest thing because it's just like the, the Lord of the flies people aspect out there. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do. I have no idea. I don't have any guesses for like actually what's next. I'm interested to see what it will tell us about Ellie and Joel and their reaction to human to human conflict. Like Ellie has kind of teased, you know, well, she's not afraid to get close to an infected. She has kind of her issues with killing an infected. What will human to human conflict do for her? And what will it do, you know, the, the for the relationship between Ellie and Joel as they see each other in those sorts of moments and environments? We'll see. We'll see. I'm not saying anything. I know I've already seen a couple of these episodes, aka all of them, but I will never hint at anything I've seen and it'll never it'll never come out of me on this show. And I, I at this point I'm not watching them until the day. So because I'm I respect gonna be it. I'm gonna be the naive little baby in the podcast. <laughs> um I do wanna talk, I do wanna touch on something that's been going on on the interwebs. Speaking of the future of The Last of Us. So Everybody that knows that has played Last of Us Part Two knows that there is a character named Abby looming for us, lover or hater. Um, but there's been this interesting thing because there is an actress named Shannon Barry from the Wilds. And back in 2020, people were tweeting at her all the time saying, you look like Abby, you look like Abby. And she tweeted, okay, I've seen too many people now say I look like Abby from The Last of Us. And wow, they're kind of right. And an interesting thing that has happened more recently is that she and Neil Druckmann follow each other on Instagram, which is making people think mm-hmm. that Abby may or may not have been cast um, in The Last of Us Part Two, which would be, I guess, next season, if that's happening. And I assume it will because the opening has made so much money. Why wouldn't they do it? Um, but I think that's interesting. And I also think it'd be interesting if maybe she showed up as like a teaser at the end of one. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. I she I've watched a lot of clips of her. I think she would be a great Abby. I will be honest. I'm not familiar with uh, Shannon Barry's work. She definitely looks the part in ways that seem, you know, you have to have uh, to, to get cast. I think that anybody who plays Abby is going to go through a tough time because I know that the audience is going to be relentless the same way they were with the game. Abby, I, I don't know if we want to talk about part two spoilers on the show yet. I know we said we'll talk about part one spoilers on the on the end of our last of pods episodes. Let us know. We could open this up for next week. I won't throw any part two spoilers into your ears yet if you don't want to, if you've managed to stay spoiler free. But if you know anything about this, you know that the, char- the character of Abby was very controversial uh, from the start of The Last of Us part two. And it's a tough role to play because the fans will just start yelling at you as if you're doing anything other than playing the part and reading the words and doing the things you're supposed to do. Uh, So I hope that whoever does get cast as Abby is properly protected and trained, I guess, in whatever way uh, to to play that part. 
I know the character of Abby pissed me off. But yeah, but know. you would never go after the yeah. actress on Twitter. Like, we don't <laughs> yeah, exactly. Movies. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, she's a frustrating character. She is. But oh, um, yeah. there, you know who would be funny to, to I don't know that this would be a perfect casting, but imagine if they pulled like Maisie Williams to play Abby and we got like a Game of Thrones reunion with uh, Bella and Maisie Williams playing these characters uh, or That's hilarious. Uh, I don't see it at all, but I'm I don't sure. see it either, but just thinking, just, I started Googling who could play, who could play uh, Abby. And I, I saw plenty of people like Jodie Comer or Maisie Williams being, being suggested. Um, but I do think Shannon Berry could be a pretty good part based on the very limited things I've seen about Shannon on, uh, on Twitter, but I just don't know too much about that, that person at all. So I don't, I, I don't feel like I could speak to it. It'll be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Well, we have some epic, epic guests coming up on the last of pods. If you've made it this far into this week's episode, thank you. We can't tell you who they are yet, but episode eight is due for an incredible guest. And another episode before that is due for an incredible guest. And we're going to be recording them soon, I think. Yes. Uh, and I'm very, 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 very excited for this. So. Please share our show with your friends. Leave those five-star reviews. Follow The Last of Pods on Twitter because it also shares The Last of Us news and updates and things like that so that you can stay informed all in one place. And we're having fun building this Last of Us community. You can all find each other by responding to tweets and you know interacting there and sharing reactions. Uh, so thank you for that, for the success of this podcast already. Uh, Ash, any, any, any last words for The Last of Pods episode three? No, I was just going to say, if you liked our Gabriel Luna interview, you are going to love what we have in store for you. Seriously. I know me and Brandon have been celebrating like it's Christmas morning. Um, so we have some really good guests coming up and I can't wait. So in the meantime, chill with us online. I'm saying come hang out on, on the tweets. Make Twitter a better place. It's going to be great. Great <laughs> things coming to the last of pods. We appreciate everybody listening to us every week. Thank you so much for giving us your ears. Uh, and if you're with us on YouTube, giving us your eyes. Awesome stuff coming. And uh, until next Sunday, follow us at Ash Crossan, at Brandon Davis BD. Go watch Entertainment Tonight. Go read comicbook.com. And uh, we'll see you there. Look for the light. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.